Welcome to Geocache Adventures with me, Shadow Dragon One, where I explore the world of geocaching. If you like the podcast, please consider leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcast or the Geocache Adventures Facebook page, or share it with somebody that you think would enjoy it. Word of mouth is a great way to spread the podcast. You can also join Geocache Adventures on Buy Me a Coffee. Just follow Geo Adventures. That's one word: G E O Adventures on Buy Me a Coffee and get behind the scenes on every episode or become a member to unlock other exclusive content. Hi everybody, Amy Shadow Dragon One here and with me today is Jim Powwitz, aka Wits N from Caching of the Northwest. Thank you so much for joining me today. Hey, well thanks for having me. We enjoyed having you as a guest. Oh, on it was our a blast. podcast. Yeah, and I'm happy to reciprocate. So first of all, I always love to hear how people got started geocaching. So how did you start geocaching? Well, it's been so long. I don't <laughs> know that I can remember, but I have been caching quite a while. I think I started in 2004 and, and I've always been a bit of, well, a nerd. Let's just be blunt. <laughs> I work in tech. I play with tech. Tech has always fascinated me. Maps have always fascinated me. I remember in the early days of aerial photography, scouring Microsoft's Terra server and things like that. And, and so just maps and navigation and GPS, those things I find fascinating. And I heard, I don't honestly remember where I first heard about it, but it would have been on some tech show. I don't know. I don't know that we even had podcasts back then, but I watched ZDNet tech TV and stuff and, and uh, got Mike Elgin's uh, Mike's list by email newsletter and heard about this GPS. Thing. And I thought that sounds really cool. So when I finally scraped enough money together to buy a GPS, I thought I got to try this geocaching thing. That just sounds like fun. So in 2004, that was, it was still pretty new. So was it fairly sparse in your area? It was uh, not, well, definitely more sparse than it is now. And the funny thing is I found my first caches, not here at home, but in Southern California when I was visiting my sister <laughs> and I went down there for a uh, high school reunion. And I messaged her and said, hey, I'm going to be in town this weekend. For school. She goes, great. My girlfriend's getting married in Hawaii that weekend. And I'm going to, I'm, I'm, her, I'm her maid of honor. So I won't be home that weekend. But I need somebody <laughs> to house sit and feed the cats. So I stayed in her house, fed the cats and decided, I've got some time on my hands. Let me check out this geocaching thing. And boy, back then I did a lot of looking online, printing out the cache pages and that kind of thing. I didn't have... A, a GPS to load them in. I just had a pocket PC with a external GPS and a battery pack that I had really Frankenstein together. So I had the the latitude and longitude, but it certainly was not a self-contained thing like smartphone apps of today. Wow. How far out did you have to go from where you were staying to find the geocache? Was there one nearby or did you have to drive a ways? Do you remember? Oh, there were several there. Yeah. I was, oh, okay. It, there, was, there were a couple in the city park and I, I searched for some others, uh, in other parks that I was around. I visited my, my mom when I was down there. And so there was one near where she lived and 
Yeah, I found several down there. That uh, it was a lot of fun, and having grown up in the area, it was fun to revisit some of the places I'd played, parks I'd played in when I was a kid, and things like that. Do you remember your very first find? Yes, kind of. It was nothing <laughs> special to speak of. It was, I think, an Altoids mint tin under a steps of a bleacher in the local park. I remember better the first multi that I found was something called Under Control in a nearby park. And I was so tickled by the the idea of finding a location and finding coordinates to another location. And then finding that one was a fake piece of electrical conduit under a control box oh. for like sprinklers or stadium lights or something. There were several conduits in there. And that so under control was a little play on word of the hint of the item. So that was, oh, that was fun. Oh, nice. And I still kind of like multis. I'm not a big multi person. If it's more than a lot of people, two or three (laughs) spots, I'm kind of, I'm kind of (laughs) out. Fair enough. A lot of people aren't, but, uh, and and they're not maybe my top favorite, but I do kind of enjoy them. I I like the ones more that are, you go to the spot and you do the projection. Those are fun. Sometimes those are marked as field puzzles and sometimes they're marked as multis. I I like those a little, little more than trying to find all the different spots it just I've depends done, on how many some, yeah yeah and i've done some multis that were themed we had kind of what adventure labs have become now but i know we did one that was all murals around the city so there were oh. four or five stops and we had to drive through several things and that was that was fun because there was no place to hide an actual location there but it was you know pull up to this train and count how many clouds are in the sky and plug that number in here and um, so that was nice. that was fun yeah very cool. Well, today we're actually not talking about multis. We're going to talk about cash <laughs> adoption. <laughs> yeah. And you have some a bit of experience with this. A little bit, a little bit, yeah. So, when we talk about cash adoption, we we're not talking about just going out and maintaining somebody's geocache. We're, we're talking about like an official transfer and taking it over. Right. Right. That's a nice thing to do, take care of somebody's cash. But yeah, this is a more formal process, I guess you could call it. Yeah. So so you actually have to, there's steps on geocaching.com that we actually have to fill out and and do. Right. Yeah. And I have both adopted other people's caches and put some of my own caches up for adoption. So I've been on both sides of the coin. So when you go to adopt a cache out... Mm-hmm. How does this process work? Right. And that's a good point. It has to be initiated by the cash owner. <clears throat> you can't just go, gee, I'd sure like to have that cash. I'm going to adopt it. <laughs> Take it away from the guy that, for the person that hit it. No, uh, this one, I, I, the first one I adopted was from a guy that had, I think he just had too many to maintain. And then more recently I've moved in the past year. So I'm 250 miles from the caches I've placed and I can't maintain them. So I talked to a friend ahead of time and said, Hey, would you be willing to maintain these for me? He said, sure. So you go to geocaching.com. Oddly enough, where else would <laughs> you start for any kind of geocache maintenance log or otherwise? There is a page that's geocaching.com slash adopt, I believe. 
And there you, uh, they call that the geocache adoption tool. There you punch in the GC code of the cache that you want to put up for adoption or adopt out. And it looks it up and you can, you have the opportunity to confirm that you're not adopting out the wrong cache. And you <laughs> enter the username of the person that you'd like to have adopt the cache. So I have always done it where we prearranged it and discussed it ahead of time. Somebody was willing to do that. In theory, I guess you could just go in and type your friend's username in there. And there's also a little lookup button that makes sure to pull up their name. And I actually clicked on it and made sure that I had the right person. Yeah. <laughs> Even though their name is pretty unique. And then you, I forget the text of it, said send, go, okay, whatever. I think it's go. And the recipient then receives an email from geocaching.com, kind of like in the message center when you send somebody a message through geocaching.com and says, hey, Witsend has asked you to adopt this cache. And they have the opportunity to accept it or not. If it's something that, no, I just can't do that, don't want to do that. And uh, then you'll get an order. But if, if all goes through smoothly, and whenever I've done it, it has, then they are now the official owner of the geocache. They get all the owner logs. They can go in and all of the things. If you've ever hidden a cache, and I hope most of your listeners have hidden a cache, it's fun to go out and add back to the game board. You know, we can't find them yeah, if nobody really hides them, right? <laughs> but, uh, you know, as a, as a cache owner, when you log in, you can uh, write a perform maintenance. You can temporarily disable a log if for whatever reason, it's not available, it's broken, the weather's bad, stolen, any number of reasons. But there are tools that you have as a cache owner on a cache page that the average geocacher doesn't know. Those all show up for you now. The one thing I think is interesting, and I kind of like it, for the average geocacher to go to a cache page that has been adopted out, right at the top of the page, it says the cache name, and it says a cache hidden by Shadow Dragon One say. When you adopt a cache out, it still says that original name. If you click on it, yeah, if you click on it, it goes to the new owner. So you can easily tell. It's not that it's a secret. But I think that's a nice little homage to the person that originally took the time to hide the cache. Yeah, that's interesting. So why would you adopt out a geocache versus archiving a geocache? Well, it's there's a lot of a lot of reasons for both. There, there. I have archived caches when they've outlived their their use. When when I could no longer really maintain them for whatever reason, and the location was really nothing to speak of. I mean, let's be honest. There are a lot of fantastic geocaches out there. There are some that are just okay. Yeah, and they all serve their purpose. They're all great. I I like to find just your average urban hide when I'm traveling. It's quick and easy. I don't always need the, you know, the long involved hike, but sometimes it's just like, you know what? I think it's time to archive this cache. That opens up the map for somebody else, maybe to experience hiding a cache. Maybe they wanted to hide a cache nearby. Maybe you would want to hide a cache nearby. That's too close by the rule book to the cache that you're already hidden and you can't do it. So you might archive that. But adoption, which is what we're talking about today, and then get back to the topic what's in. (laughs) 
in my case, the most recent ones, like I said, I moved. I can't maintain the caches, but I don't know that I want the caches to go away. There's one of them I hid quite a long time ago. And while it's just a metal tin and a guardrail, nothing that fancy, that's kind of sentimental. And some people are really, really into finding caches that are very old, that have been hidden in a certain month. You can get the fizzy grids and the jasmine grids, and that's a right. whole nother episode topic of a discussion. <laughs> but gosh, if you've got to own a geocache that was hidden quite a long time ago, and it fills somebody's difficulty terrain grid or date hidden grid or something, boy, I sure wouldn't want to just archive that because the historical significance of that, even if the cache itself isn't all that fancy, is is really something to to take into consideration. I think there's probably more. Yeah, the, <laughs> but... the jasmers are, it's a real popular thing to do. And those older ones are getting a lot every every year every right? day they're getting harder and harder to to find yeah yeah so those are the, the main reasons i can think of there's probably a lot more <laughs> but uh and maybe you just want to help out a new cashier and say okay look are you maybe you're not ready to hide a cash yet let me just give you one of mine to take care of and see what it's like to manage and maintain a cash that's an interesting That's idea. Things that just occur to me on the fly. <laughs> well, it is definitely easier to, once the cache is established, to maintain it versus, you know, getting permission and going through the review process, which can sometimes take several iterations. And Yeah. Yeah. Some people are very intimidated by placing a cache and getting permission and filling out the form and hoping that the reviewer approves it, those kind of things. If the cache is already well-established, then adopting it might be a, a great, you know, stepstone into cache ownership. Yeah, that's a really good point. And it's a simple enough process to adopt yeah. your cache over to somebody. It it actually really is. Yeah. Uh, just a few clicks and emails, but I... I think a lot of people tend to have questions about how the process actually works because you hear about it. Yeah. But it's, it's interesting because the way it's set up, like you said, it has to be initiated by the owner. And I know there's always people wanting to adopt those abandoned caches out there. Yeah. And that's one of my really, biggest, yeah, you know. that's one of my biggest things. There is a cache very near to where I live now that, the last several logs are DNFs. It has not been found for months. It's a puzzle cache. I've solved the puzzle. I know my coordinates are correct based on the puzzle checker on the cache page. But near as I can tell the final location, the container is gone. So I would be happy to adopt that cache. In fact, I went to the message center and messaged the cache owner and said, hey, if you're not going to maintain this, would you adopt it out to me? But they've not, this this person's not logged into geocaching in quite some time. Some of the other local caches tell me that they're not active anymore. So I, I don't know why, I don't know how, but it would be nice if there was a way to contact geocaching and request adoption, perhaps. Maybe they could contact the cache owner and say, hey, if you don't respond to us in 
six months, a year, pick the date, pick the time frame. I don't know. Then the cash will be up for adoption because if you don't maintain a cash, the reviewers very often will put it to to archive market for archive and, and say, hey, yeah. this cash seems to be missing and the owner's not responding, so we're just gonna archive it. And what if that cache was one of the old ones we talked about or something that was really cool and about gadget cache or something? Yeah. That process can actually take a really long time sometimes too, depending on the number of reviewers in the area and mm -hmm. how much time they have to look at it and everything. And I'm not sure how they get notified on things like that or it's, it's a yeah. whole other process. And yeah. A lot of red tape We're, around things. Right. We we here, Caching in the Northwest podcast, we are here, well, in the Northwest <laughs> and not far from Geocaching HQ. So we have the opportunity that we probably run into some of the lackeys a little more often than people in, in other areas. And I actually asked a lackey one time, fairly recently about, hey, is there, and she kind of said, well, not really, officially, no. You can do kind of a, Community maintain, you know, place a yeah. new container there and and uh, write a note on the cache page. But officially, there's not a way to request adoption. But maybe once they hear it on on your podcast, maybe they'll just <laughs> jump right on that. Who who knows? You never know. It's it, it is actually interesting because I trying to research and get some background information ahead of time. I actually didn't find a whole lot out there on this. I found one YouTube video and one other podcast. And then, of course, the official geocaching.com listing on, you know, the steps for how to do it. And that was all that yeah. I found. And usually you have all kinds of blogs written and YouTube videos yeah. and other podcasts and everything. And this is one of those that they're, for whatever reason, there's just not a lot of stuff out there talking about it. But I see people on Facebook all the time asking about how can I adopt this cash that's sitting there? Yeah. Yeah. It, it is one of those things that, well, it's a pretty simple thing, really. People probably try to make it more difficult than it is, but there's not a lot. In fact, when recently, even though I had adopted caches in the past, when I recently put a couple of mine up for adoption, I had to hunt pretty hard to find a tool. Uh, it wasn't obvious to me where to find it. I thought it would be something right on the cache owner dashboard or in the cache page as when I logged in as the owner. And maybe it was there and I never saw it. It wouldn't surprise me. But but I didn't find it easily. I wound up doing the old Google search and finding a, a link to the page for the steps. That's That's how I found it. I searched geocache adoption and... The link was there at the top, followed by a whole lot of other adoption articles that were not related to geocaching. <laughs> yeah. Thankfully, adopting a cache is far less involved than yes. adopting a, a person. Yeah. Far less involved. And the upkeep is much lower, I would have to say, than, <laughs> than maintaining yeah. a person, <laughs> maintaining a child. Oh. <laughs> There are a few limitations with cache types, though, aren't there? Not too many, but... There are they, a few, yeah. They and, list legacy cache types. Right. And so apparently, I don't own any, so I didn't know this, but you cannot adopt out a webcam cache or a virtual cache. Is that... That's the way you understood it, too? That's there? the way I understood it, yeah. based on uh, geocaching.com's 
and that's Official that's kind of language kind of disappointing because webcams are really hard to find nowadays there's just yeah. so few of them then and, and they are legacy they're not allowing you to hide anymore webcam caches i have quite a few webcam hides from my early geocaching days and gosh i, I i'd hate to say well it, owner's not going to maintain this so we're just going to archive it well let me adopt it no no can't do it it's an, it's a webcam yeah so, that would be nice if you could adopt that one right but, and then i don't even know if this has come up yet because adventure labs tend to be so newer compared to the other cache types but right i'm making the assumption that you can't adopt them because there's no gc code I would think that's probably true as well, but it's hard to say. And, and Adventure Labs, they're you know they're in a separate app. They're, they can be rather polarizing as some amongst some geocachers. Some people oh, really yes, they can be. don't like them. Some people love them. Uh, they can I be. Feel. They're they're interesting because you know where it goes require a different app as well to play them. Right. But they still have a standard GC code and cache mm -hmm. page where Adventure Labs at this point are just like a whole. We'll put them on the map, but it's a whole different breed of yeah. beast out there. And yeah, and thankfully they do show up on the map because I, I'm well, I've been caching since 2004. My instinct is just to pull up the one source for things. Rather than opening the geocaching or you pick your third-party cache app of choice yeah. and the Adventure Lab app at the same, you know, I don't always check two things. It so is nice, nice that it's all them. shown on one thing now. Yeah, but yeah. Yeah, sometimes, so yeah that's... sometimes I wish instead of hitting the Adventure Lab pin in the geocaching app, I wish it would give me like a description page instead of going to the other app right away and opening right. up because that would be nice yeah little the side other, tangent the there cache, right <laughs> the other cache that i that i am told that you cannot adapt out is an archived cache so if there's a cache that's already been archived there's no lazarusing it back from the dead it is it is archived for good the only cache that i've ever been aware of that was archived and unarchived is the Project Ape cache here in Washington State. That was one of the, yeah, one of the. Are you familiar with the Project Ape cache? I am. The, I didn't, and I knew it had gone missing at one point, but I I never realized it had been archived at one point. Yeah, somebody muggled it, and uh, it was a pretty big cache. It is a pretty big cache, but somebody muggled it, and geocaching policy as well. It's we're going to archive it, and somebody placed a tribute cache, same style, same location, same container, but you didn't get the ape icon if you found that one. Mm. And then one summer, some local caches said, "You know, that's a pretty big, hefty ammo can cache. I'll bet somebody just chucked it over the edge of the hill into the ravine." So they set out on a mission, and sure enough, they found it after not very much searching, and there was a whole petition to geocaching to unarchive it and in fact i think they put out a, a, a poll amongst cachers okay what do you think should we restore it as an actual project ape cache should we you know maintain the tribute cache that was put in its place and the overwhelming opinion and request was to 
restore the original project gave cash. So Mission 9 Tunnel of Light is still available. One of the, I think, only two. Like there's one in Brazil and yeah, one in, one in Brazil and yeah, uh, there was oh, it was pretty rare when they came out because wasn't there only like twelve or so to start with? Something like that, yeah. I know, like there's... this one is nine, so there's at least yeah. That, that <laughs> yeah, it was it was a pretty rare occurrence when it when it first started, and and now it's yeah. probably the rarest cash type that you can get. Since there's only two left in the in the whole only world, two left, yeah. Yeah, that was fun. I made that my 500th find way back in the day. I don't oh, did I you? That one, but yeah. Yeah, that's on my my geocaching uh, bucket list. I hopefully get out there one day while it's still yeah, around. I hope you do. Come, come visit out here when you yeah, come say hi. <laughs> if I if I make it out that way, I will let you know. Yeah, yeah look us all up. <laughs> I will. So the one thing that I think a lot of geocachers might be wondering is it a premium feature to adopt a cache or can anybody do it you know that is an excellent question and i have to be 100 honest and say i don't know i was going to look that up and i forgot to check on that did you check on that from what i could find i'm not clear on that answer either <laughs> i <laughs> It does not appear to me. I never found anything that said it was strictly a premium feature, but I also mm -hmm. never found anything saying it wasn't either. So yeah, I'm sure somebody out Gosh, there no, knows. <laughs> yeah, some, some podcast listener is screaming at their headphones right now saying, yes, no, but I'm sure I are. would think, I would think that, you know, you don't have to be a premium member to hide a cash yeah. to the best of my knowledge. So I would think that anybody could adopt one. But I would hope so. Yeah. I would think so. And I want to say that's the right answer. But I also know as soon as I say that, yes, that is 100% right, somebody right. will will come <laughs> and, and show me where I'm wrong. So <laughs> I'm going to say I've got 99% certainty that that's the right answer. <laughs> well, you and I are at least... In agreement with that. So <laughs> I'm sure, somebody out there is yelling a different answer at us, but oh, somebody's yelling, of course. I'm... <laughs> Isn't that yes? Don't we all have those moments when we're listening to the radio or the podcast, and you know the answer, and you just start yelling oh, at yes. the radio? <laughs> How could you not know this? Yeah, yeah, just start yelling the answer. You're sitting there in your car like a maniac, yelling at the radio. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, those are good times. Guilty as charged. Good times. <laughs> but if you can't, if you're not a premium member and you can't adopt a cash and you really want to, well, go get a premium membership. They're not that expensive. <laughs> I know there have been times in my geocaching period when I was not premium cacher, but I, I try to. It, it helps support the hobby that we love and, uh, you know, cost money for geocaching to keep all the wheels turning there. And so it's a good thing to do. If you can at all afford it as hobbies go, it's a fairly affordable fee for most hobbies. Yeah. For, and, and if, if that's as far down the rabbit hole as you go, <laughs> for right, money -wise, right. <laughs> like all hobbies, you can, you can, uh, 
You can oh, find you ways can, to spend more easily. <laughs> you can go in deep if you, yeah, if you, if you let yourself, but yeah. Well, you have a couple of cash highlights for us today. Nice highlights. Yes. Yes. I love, love multiple ones. So the first one I have written down here was GC HWPC. Correct. Yeah. Hotel Whiskey Papa Charlie. That, uh, I think if I had to pick one cash, that was my favorite cash of all time. If the, if it wasn't this one, this one's really far up the list. I, I often think of this and describe this as my, my favorite cash. I found this cash in November of 2004 when I'd only been cashing for a couple of months. It was one of the first caches that I took my family with me on and my kids were little at the time. And we have such great memories finding this cache. It's called Captain Wapato's Treasure Hunt. It's in Wapato Park in Tacoma, Washington here. And guess what? It's a multi. I don't know <laughs> you like multis where oh we started my. this conversation. I love multis. <laughs> I have I have uh, I have grown to know the cash owners of this, the hiders of this as good friends over the years, but I didn't know them at the time. Uh, they're a family hidden by uh, Team Noltex is the name that they cash by as a team, as a family. And they put together this this little story about it's all written in pirate speak, you know, arg metis and the whole nine yards. But you go to a place in the park and boy, they went far enough as to metal stamp numbers in the brass plates and mount them in the park. It wasn't just like a Sharpie really? pin in the back of a road sign or something. And I saw that and I thought, wow, this is really well done. And Wapato Park has a lake in it. Wapata Lake, oddly enough. And they set the multi-cache up to take you all the way around the perimeter of the lake. There's a hiking, jogging trail around the perimeter of the lake. Okay. Anyway, so it's not like you have to bushwhack. And there's one down at a boat ramp dock at one end of the lake. And there's one across a viaduct crossing at the other end of the lake. And the final location, and my friends that hit it said, the location, the final is what he found first. And he said, I have to build a cashier on this because I don't know if you remember, you're probably too young to remember, but back when I was a kid, you'd go to the park and there were these play structures to climb on. And they often had these little fort looking structures you could climb up on. And there was a fake telescope. It was just a piece of pipe mounted on a swivel that you could look through, but boy, you were, exploring the stars or or piloting you or captaining your own ship or whatever it was and you're a kid and there was one of these in the park and it had been removed from active use and kind of shoved in the back corner of this lot close to a service yard is kind of all askew but that doggone telescope was still mounted to the rail and if you he, he took painted a line on it so if you pivoted it until the red marks lined up and sighted through that telescope. You saw the base of a big tree and that's where the final was behind the tree. And I just thought this is really oh, cool. Oh, wow. Oh so, yeah. That was, that's still one of my favorite caches ever. That and sounds really neat. The really cool piece personally for me, fast forward over 15 years later, like I said, I, I know these people now they're friends of mine. 
he came, I, I saw him, this was in 2021, I think. He says, I got something for you. I'm like, oh, what's that? And he said, yeah, we were, we were walking the trail. And he said, I thought, I wonder if that's still, even though the cache had been archived for years, sure enough, there's still one of the brass number plates mounted underneath a railing on the, he said, so I got out my pocket knife and pried it loose. He mounted it on a wood plaque with the GC number and the name, and he presented it to me as, and it's like an award. I, ha I, I have it packed because like I said, I moved and I don't have it out on display right now, but uh, that's, it, it was really cool. That, that that I have so a piece of, of the original number plaque from you know, Waypoint 3 of Captain Wapato's treasure hunt. So That's pretty cool. That's a cool one. Yeah. That's a cool one. I had a couple other ones. If you want to go through it, a couple other ones. Yeah, absolutely. So the, the next one I had was GCV is in Victor, N is in Nancy, 3-1. Right. And that was hidden a long time ago in 2006. And I'll go ahead and, and, and also include the the final one because they're really the same cache. That's the GC6. Six, yeah, 6-5, Whiskey 9, Victor, W9VE. Both caches had the same name and the same final and the same location because they were the same build he he found a um it's kind of a park a little woodsy area okay that and it was one of the first caches that i ever did at night and if you've ever done caches at night they can be a lot of fun almost always they're done with reflective tacks and you take your flashlight and you find the little glowing glints in the trees and you work your way down the trail this one was called control the night because you used a television remote control. You could bring your own with you, or you could in the, in the first waypoint and published coordinates, there was a Tupperware with a, an old TV remote in it. You just didn't know if the batteries were still going to be good, <laughs> but you, you hiked down this trail to a large clearing and you stood in the middle of the clearing and you pushed the TV remote buttons as you slowly turned around and pointed it in the woods all the way around you. And when you found the right tree, there was an infrared detector that would cause a little red LED to light up. Oh. So you would know that, oh, that's, that's the tree. So a flashlight wouldn't help you in this condition, in this situation. You had to use something that emitted infrared light, like a TV remote. And then you would go to that tree. And on the back of the tree, there was one of those brass number tags with the coordinates for the next clearing and so on. And, and then the final location, you get to location and you, you, do your remote at the infrared only this time instead of lighting up a, a little light tell you where it was he had mounted a laser pointer up in the tree that shone across the, the clearing at another tree that had a the final up inside a hollow a, a hollow tree there. So oh, that was just wow such a cool cool thing but unfortunately technology out in the weather it had problems and unfortunately like a lot of things People would vandalize it, steal parts, sad to say. So he archived the first one and then years later post uh, hit another one with the same theme, the same things, and kind of did a little, uh, he, he kind of built some metal boxes to protect the things more and mounted more. And somebody still wound up stealing one or two of them. And he said, I'm oh, done. It's too, it's too bad. But yeah. Um, so that the first one was hidden in 2006. I don't know what date it was that he archived it, but the second one was hidden in 2015. Sadly, they're both archived now, but 
all those hidden by Team Noltex, local cashier to the Tacoma, Washington area. Great fun. If you're out in the area, you can't do those caches, but I highly recommend looking for Team Noltex and uh, filtering by caches they've hidden because they hide quality caches. Sounds like it. Those all sound yeah. like really cool, especially the infrared with the TV remote. I haven't heard of one yeah. like that before. I've never seen one like it since. That was so, so fun. Wow. That is neat. Oh, now I really want to find one like that. <laughs> I told you, I'm a, I'm a tech nerd. I like gadgets. That was, that just checked all my boxes. It was, yeah. That's perfect for you. That sounds like yeah. so much fun. That is so cool. Right. Well, Jim, thank you so much for coming on here and talking cash adoption with us and, and sharing those cash highlights. That was, was really neat caches. I'm, I'm sad to hear that they're archived, but I'm glad to hear they existed. They were, they were a lot of fun. It was, it's been fun chatting with you and thanks for letting me derail things off into multis and everything else. Oh, you know what? This derailing things is a constant <laughs> occurrence with me. So <laughs> you've been listening to geocache adventures with me, shadow dragon one. If you'd like to get in touch, you can reach out to me on Facebook, Instagram, or go to geocacheadventures.org and you can find the information on the contact page. Theme music is by The Travel Bugs. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Have you heard of FTF Magazine? It's the magazine for geocachers. It is full of articles and pictures all submitted by geocachers just like you. I'm a subscriber myself and I love it. My favorite part is the little snippets on the edges of the articles on all the different pages. Those are my favorites. Just go to ftfgeo.com to check them out and tell them Shadow Dragon 1 sent you. 